if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. On AM 1420, The Answer. Yes, indeed it is, and we continue into hour number two at nine minutes past ten o'clock on this Wednesday, the 20th morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2020, and a glorious day indeed that it is. Why? Because now we know that tomorrow, tomorrow, the state of Ohio can uh, can confirm that the Chinese coronavirus will not be on the inside of restaurants. Right now, it's still there. Today, it's still living there. It's clear on the outside, but the COVID will just seize upon you when you walk indoors as of today. But tomorrow will be all gone. And that's why they've allowed restaurants to open tomorrow. Is my tongue planted firmly in my cheek? Yes, of course it is, because it's insane. But it is the reality of the situation. Tomorrow has been designated for one reason or another, the date that people can go back inside restaurants. And joining us now to talk about the preparations for that and what these uh, policies have done to the restaurant industry is one of the most uh, uh, well-known and well-respected Cleveland area restaurateurs, Tony George, on AM 1420, The Answer. Tony, good to have you back on the program program how are you sir good thank you it's uh it's good to talk to you and congratulations on having the uh, handcuffs taken off um tell me um in in as you know little or as much detail as you can or want tony how the last two and a half months have gone for you and most well not most importantly but as importantly for all of your employees who have uh who have been laid off during this time well i mean it's been pretty rough bob i mean the past two and a half months, we used the opportunities to super sanitize all the places, rip, tear apart the kitchens, power wash them, clean them, replace the equipment, repaint, reupholster, freshen up everything, getting it ready for the reopen. So we kept some of our staff on to do that. We're, we're just now bringing them all back in anticipation of Thursday. Some of our places opened up with patios this past Thursday, so we're, 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 we're excited about opening. Um, good for you, by the way, keeping some of your staff on to help do the, the cleaning and sanitizing, and that's good. But what's bad for you, of course, is you had to pay them without having any revenue coming in. 
Can you speak, Tony, to how the, how hard this has been for you and for others in the business, in the industry that you know, um, how hard it is to just kind of stay afloat during this period of time where you have a lot of expenditures because you have to retrofit this and put in partitions that and sanitize and so on without any uh, uh, revenue coming in at all? Well, we had to dip into our rainy day fund, and then we had to borrow money. So we're, we're back in debt, Bob. And um, the reopening with the social distancing, it's going to be hard to make money because the margins are so thin. So we're just hoping and praying we can work things out and spread the customers over a longer period of time instead of them coming in at 5 o'clock for dinner. Maybe we can get them in at 4, 3.30 and stretch them out till 8.30, you know, and try to get the same number of people with more hours. Look, we're going to try to adapt to the tools we've been given, and it's been it's been rough. And I think the restaurant industry has been targeted. Uh, you know, as you know, the big box stores are all open. My wife and I went there to get flowers for the patio. Meantime, the you know uh, Home Depot and Walmart—they're all jam-packed. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's a joke, to be honest with you. The restaurants could do a better job than the big boxes. We should have been allowed to stay open. We should have been stayed open because our chefs and our cooks need safe serve certificates. We're more prepared to be open than they are. And the irony is, mm-hmm. they, you know, if the curve is flattened, we could have crushed the curve. But we are never given that opportunity. Tony, that is such a great point, and I will completely 100% agree because I can tell you that every time I go to the stores and grocery shop or go to the big box stores, I'm touching far more things that are going to be, that have already been touched by other people and that are going to be touched by people after I move away from those aisles and areas than I would if I was at your restaurant. What am I going to touch at your restaurant? Maybe the door handle coming in and then my silverware, uh, and maybe the ketchup bottle on the table and you can find a way to, you can find a way to use single-use things for those things. But you're right. You probably could have done a better job uh, at keeping people uh, healthy than the, than the stores that were allowed to stay open. Right. So here, let me let me go through what we're doing. We're, first of all, we're sanitizing all the door handles every 15 minutes, whether they need it or not, mm-hmm. including everything from when you walk in the door to the bathroom. The other thing we're doing is all our employees are going to be wearing masks. There's going to be sanitation stations all over the place. They're going to constantly wash their hands. Soon, they're not given condiments at the table unless they ask for them. Then we bring them to them. They've been sanitized before we give them to them, and then sanitized before we take them back to the kitchen and bring them back out again. We put all these things, all these extra things we got to put in. We had to actually hire more people to try to make sure all the social distancing is done properly because, you know, people don't know. You got to, we got to re-educate everybody. And we got to re-educate our staff. It's a whole new world out there. And all I can tell you is I don't think 30% of the restaurants are going to reopen. I made that prediction a month and a half ago. I'm going to stick to it. I don't think they reopen. I totally agree. I'm sorry, Tony. Okay, go ahead. Finish your thought, please. The ones that do reopen, based on the criteria that everybody's got to live with, I don't think 40% of them survive. Um, what capacity are you allowed to operate at on the inside? Well, if you, if you got a big place, as long as you do the social distancing and everybody's six, six and a half feet apart, what I did in my restaurant is I 
I went six and a half feet, seven feet, so there's no question. Because mm-hmm. you got now you got the Gestapo coming in, chucking yeah. on you. Yeah. They think they know everything. This has turned into a a military state. Okay? They think they know everything. The governor said the other day he's gonna use the Ohio investigative unit to come down on all the bars and restaurants. What kind of attitude is that? Why don't you use the Ohio investigative unit to come in and help us and teach us what we need to do and teach these restaurant owners and the employees what to do instead of using them as a velvet hammer to cut their throats. This is baloney. I didn't see the Ohio investigative unit out there at all these big boxes when everybody's rubbing up against each other. To me, this is, this is selective. It was selective that they shut us down. I disagreed with it 100%. They should have let us operate and operate responsibly. Tony George is our guest, Cleveland restaurateur, uh, Cleveland area restaurateur. He's got places all over the place. Um, I talked to Speaker of the Ohio House, Larry Householder, yesterday, and he said that when DeWine came down with his order back on March 15th to uh, close all bars and restaurants, he gave them an option. He, meaning uh, uh, House Republicans, said, look, you don't have to close them down. Why don't you just minimize the capacity? Why don't you let them stay open at 25 or 30 or 40 or 50 percent? Keep people distanced, etc. Why shut them down completely? How much different would it be if you were allowed to stay open, even on a small scale, the way they had talked about, and now been able to expand it just a little bit? How much difference would that have made for you? Well, I think it would have made a lot of difference to the places that were borderline about being able to come back. They're not mm-hmm. coming back no more. I think the Speaker had a great idea back then. Larry Householder should be included in the conversations and the legislature, Larry Householder, the legislature, the president of the Senate, Larry Abhoff in the Senate, and the governor's office, they should work together on this stuff and talk about all these different options so that we could have kept the state open, kept it moving forward. Now we're in a $2 billion deficit. So imagine that. Now we, and it's going to be worse than that. I'm going to make a prediction. I'm not a genius, but I'm going to say $3.5 billion. We're going to go backwards in the state of Ohio. Guess what? Who's going to end up paying for it? Somebody's got to pay for that. We're all going to pay as citizens of Ohio for this. We could have stayed open responsibly. The barber shops, the beauty salons, and the restaurants, all these people need certificates. They, they, know, more, they know more about sanitation, Bob, than all these big box stores combined. The big box stores have no idea about sanitation and protocols and they serve and all that. We did. They did this in reverse. That's that's a great point. Not, by the, by, by mm. the way, Bob, <clears throat> Home Depot, essential business, give me a break. What's so essential about Home Depot? You know, I, I, how they how they picked winners and losers, Tony, to me, is one of the biggest mysteries of this entire thing. Uh, let, let me go back to um, uh, how they made the decisions on restaurants. Um, the governor says that he put together a panel, an advisory panel of restaurant owners and restaurant experts and so on. Do you know anybody that was on that? Yeah, I know a few of them. Well, what have they what have they reported or have you talked to them about the way the discussions went and and what was their their viewpoint of the way this uh, reopening is is happening they, they made recommendations to the governor but if you notice I wasn't put on the panel you know why because I'm a vocal voice and I pushed back and they didn't want somebody on that panel pushing back that's my opinion okay 
Now they had some good people on the panel, and they did push back, and they 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 were surprised that these people pushed back. But look, they came up with recommendations that were okay. Okay, I believe we should just open it up, trust the people of Ohio, trust the business owners to make sure everything is sanitized, clean, and we're doing the social distancing. Okay, and not threaten them with the Ohio investigative unit. To me. Right. When I hear the word Ohio investigative unit, that's like the Gestapo, okay? You don't threaten your business owners with the Gestapo. I could not agree with you more, Tony. That is exactly what they're doing. It is not uh, opening these businesses. It doesn't give you liberty to run your business as you see fit. And to that point, Tony, um, you, you said that 30%, and I agree. I've read other people making 30 to 40% predictions of restaurants that were forced to close because of all of this who are never going to reopen again. Do you know some of those business owners, and 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 what are they going to do? Because you know, people say, well, uh, once we get everything open again, the governor's bragging 90% of the Ohio economy is about to be open again. Well, it's not when 30 to 40% of the businesses that were shut are never reopening and the people aren't getting called back to those jobs. Well, I do know some of those owners. I, I don't, I'm not at liberty to say their names and the names of the restaurants, and you're, mm-hmm. but they'll find out when they don't open. But here's what we're doing. There's a group of business guys, myself and a couple investment bankers, that are trying to put together a fund because these guys are non-bankable right now. Because they're in trouble, right? Why would you want to lend them money if they're in trouble? We're mm-hmm. trying to put together a fund so we can lend these guys twenty-five, fifty thousand dollars to help them get reopened. You know, hopefully we can put that together. And that's but a, you know what? That's Again, a great idea. The private sector, right? Here's the private sector stepping in, and instead of the government stepping in and helping, the private sector is going to step in and do things like this. Um, Tony George, um, how can people, if they, if there are business owners listening, you want listening who want to uh, contribute and help that fund, what can they do? How do they reach you? Well, let me let me, let me put it together first with a number of other business guys. Okay, and then we'll we'll sort of release, you know, some sort of press release or something. Okay, good. But, good. but we're working on it. But I'll tell you that the general public can come and patronize the restaurants and do it responsibly. We got to do the social distancing. We got to practice safe opening so that we don't get a black eye in the industry. But I got to tell you, people are pent up. When we opened our patio at the Great Northern Harry Buffalo in North Homestead, there was cars in the parking lot at nine o'clock. We didn't open till eleven because they wanted to get a table and they didn't because they knew the seating was going to be limited. Right. But you right. know what? The people are smart. They stayed in their car until we called them. Okay. They don't want to be next to each other knowing that they can spread the disease. We got all kinds of stickers on the floor and round things on the floor about staying six feet away and all that stuff. But, you know, people, sometimes they they just forget. But you can't arrest them because they forgot. Yeah, well, they act human. They act human, and they they, they move over to talk to somebody else. Maybe they see a friend at a different table, and they want to go sit down and talk to them. It's a human thing that we've always done. And to threaten you with your liquor license, if you allow it to happen, if you don't go over there and rap somebody on the knuckles with a ruler and say, get back to your place, that's you're right. It is Gestapo techniques, Tony, and it's uh, it's got to be called out. Uh, Listen, I wish you the very best of luck on your reopening. Tony George on all of your restaurants, and uh, we'll stay in touch thank you bob thank you tony god bless all right 10 23 we'll take a quick time out come right back on am 1420 the answer
All right, 1027, thanks again to Tony George, a restaurateur who's got some very strong thoughts about what has been done to his industry uh, because of the decisions made by Governor Mike DeWine and the walking lab coat. Let's go to Diane in West Park. She's up on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Diane. Hi, Bob, and good morning. Uh, thank you for taking the call. Um, I, I uh, reached Seb Gorka's, uh, Dr. Seb Gorka's um, show the other day, Monday, right. and I brought him up to date. Um, second time I brought him up to date on what Governor DeWine and Afton are doing uh, in Ohio and told him of the consequences that are going to befall the restaurant and bar owners should they not follow the rules. And I mentioned, I, then I mentioned that I had heard that, uh, I said, I, I don't know what the joy is of governing a bloodied and possibly bankrupt Ohio. And I said, but then I heard the wine is a never trumper and maybe that makes everything that he's doing a little bit more comprehensible. And Dr. Gorka said that, no, oh, and I thought this was so interesting. He said, no, Diane, maybe it's just simply cowardice. Maybe it's just a cowardly response. I thought that that weakened um, DeWine's bullying tactics against us, but, you know, I let Dr. Gorka have his opinion. Um, well, you know, let me let me respond to a little bit of that, Diane, and thanks for the phone call. I think it's weird. It's a weird dichotomy that the doctor and you kind of set up there. Uh, it is cowardly, I think. I don't think DeWine's status as a never-Trumper is, is, is behind this. I don't think he's trying to destroy the Ohio economy as a large game, part of the game of destroying the overall economy to get rid of Donald Trump. I don't think that's the case. I do know he was a never-Trumper, but I don't think that's the case. What I do think, um, he wasn't as bad as Kasich, by the way, as far as Trump goes. But anyway, but I do think there's a strange dichotomy between cowardice and power. Uh, I think it is a cowardly move. I think he was afraid to not close everything down when he did, especially when his um, <clears throat> quote-unquote doctor, the director of the Ohio Department of Health, uh, uh, Lab Code Amy, uh, made these recommendations just, what, five, six, seven, eight days after she was uh, confirmed as the Department of Health director. So I think there's some coward- cowardice there in terms of not, you know, being afraid not to act, but then they very quickly grow into the opposite of cowardly, cowardice, and that is, uh, ego and courage and, 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 and essentially being power mad or power hungry. I think he enjoys his newfound celebrity. He enjoys being praised on the national stage for being one of the first ones to stand out and really, you know, take action against this terribly deadly murderous virus. I think he likes it. So I think it started out in a a period of cowardice. I think it it very quickly transformed into a love of power, and I think that's what Mike DeWine really is right now. So it's kind of a strange uh, dual identity, I guess, that he has going on. Uh, But I certainly appreciate Dr. Gorka's viewpoint on it, too. Thanks for the call. We'll take a time out and get uh, phone calls the rest of the show on AM 1420, The Answer. Ten thirty six onward and upward on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. A couple of really good guests today. Jack Windsor laid it out for us. If you missed the conversation with Jack Windsor, uh, I really need to just kind of hit you with this again um, before I go back to the phone calls here. Jack Windsor, reporter, was in uh, Columbus yesterday talking to Governor Mike Dewine and asked him a question. As Mike Dewine continues to sell the Chinese coronavirus as being a death sentence for everybody, and and that's a slight exaggeration. 
Because he's constantly talking about death. You could be killing people. You're going to kill people if you don't follow our procedures. You're going to kill people if you don't follow our guidelines. So Jack Windsor brought death stats to Governor Mike DeWine yesterday. I want you to hear this. Jack Windsor, WMFD-TV, Mansfield. Uh, My question is for the governor. Uh, Governor, when you consider that since April 15th, 67% of deaths attributed to coronavirus are in long-term care facilities, and once we go back before the 15th, that number will be even larger. Uh, Seniors in congregate settings account for less than 1% of our population, but yet are overwhelmingly the most affected. Uh, Governor, is it time to ditch focus on things like contact tracing, bars and restaurants, and whether or not kids can chew gum on a baseball field, and to focus time, energy, and money more on solving the problem in our long-term care facilities. Those are stats that I was not aware of. I promise you Mike DeWine wasn't aware of them because his lab coat won't, won't tell him those things. In fact, probably because the lab coat doesn't know those things. Every time... Amy Acton is asked a question at these briefings, and she wasn't there yesterday. She says, we don't have the data on that. She never has the data, and I guarantee you Mike DeWine did not know what he just said. What Jack Windsor just said, to summarize, is that elderly people in long-term care facilities, a.k.a. nursing homes, all right, uh, are resp- not responsible for, but sadly, suffer 67% of the deaths from the coronavirus since April 16th. So in the last month plus, 67%. And yet they represent 1%, less than 1% of the population. And the number is higher when you go back to April 15th and before. So the, the point that he's making is clear. Governor, if you're really worried about not killing people and not allowing this deadly virus that you're totally vastly overstating with the 99.5% survival rate, If you really want to deal with the death, why don't you crack down on uh, and focus on the nursing homes and leave the bars and restaurants alone? And Mike DeWine did not answer it. He spent three and a half minutes not answering the question about nursing homes. Talked about how well we're aware that the elderly are the highest vulnerability, along with other people with certain conditions, certain health conditions. He played that game and then said, and our concern is people bringing that to them. Well, they're not bringing it to them in the nursing homes. Nobody's allowed to go into the nursing homes except for staff, for goodness sakes. But he won't address the point here. The point is this virus is not anywhere close in the same ballpark, not in the same city, not in the same state, not in the same universe to what as uh, what they, we were originally told. It is not anywhere near as fatal and as 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 high of a mortality rate, I'm trying to figure different ways to say the same thing here, as we were told it was going to be. Nowhere near. And he went, rather than acknowledging that and saying, hey, well, you know what? Uh, we were concerned that it would be. As it turns out, it's not. So let's go ahead and establish new policies based on the new information. He continues to double down as if the old information was correct. As if it is as deadly as uh, the lab coat told him it was going to be. We went from flatten the curve so the hospitals aren't overrun to stay in these uh, ridiculous conditions until we find a cure. We went from social distancing to stay at home until we say so. We went from weeks to we don't know how many months this is going to take. We went from we're in it together to snitch on your neighbors. We went from liberty to comply or be fined and go to jail and lose your license. 
We are being led by a dictator. And I know that my Republican friends in Columbus and in other places hate to hear me speak of Mike DeWine, but Mike DeWine is no Republican. To the phones, 216-901-0945, Chris in Norwalk, longtime friend of mine. I haven't heard him call my radio show in a very long time, however. Chris, what's going on? That's because I only call when I have something of substance to say. Let me okay. talk about this embarrassment called Mike DeWine and his whatever you want to call her. I call her, you call her lab coat. I call her Amy Goebbels. Yeah, that's right. I said it in the words of Mark Levin. Amy Goebbels. Let me start by this. I'm going to be a little selfish today. You know, Bob, I manage high school boys in the summertime. My team went undefeated and won the championship last year. They have one more year to go. That was stolen from them by this dictator and by, a, on a side note, a cowardly bunch of board members that won't let us play, even with the relaxed restrictions. So then I get to today when my firstborn child who busted her ass to be on an honor student and then went to vocational training and went to culinary. She's studying to be a chef. I went to a drive-through graduation today. My daughter busted her hump since she was in kindergarten. And I had to go to a drive-through, okay? No calling your name. No pomp and circumstance. We went through like we were getting a hamburger. Who the hell are you, Mike DeWine, to take that from me? to take that from me because of your power grab. I will not wear a mask. I will not comply, DeWine. Come find me and put me in jail. Go ahead. Put me in jail. What you did to this state, what you did to the people, the business owners, people that spent generations building up businesses, what you did, how can you look yourself in the mirror? How can you look yourself in the mirror at night, DeWine? I implore everybody that's hearing this, vote like your life depends on it in November. And as far as Mike DeWine goes, I'm embarrassed to say that I supported you. I'm embarrassed that I voted for you. That's all I got, Bob. Chris, thank you for the call. Um, you know, Mike DeWine... Um, on Monday at his press briefing uh, made a big deal of showing the emotion involved with um, a patient or two of the coronavirus and the terrible circumstances and the terrible suffering and the terrible deaths that result and so on and so forth. And I get it. I do. If somebody dies, whether it be of coronavirus or of cancer, or of pneumonia, or of the flu. It's a terrible, terrible thought that somebody lost their life to a disease or a virus or whatever that um, <clears throat> couldn't be stopped. I get it. And those things are emotional. But what I just heard from that caller, who I have not heard from in a couple of years, to be quite frank, was emotion that nobody seems to care about 
was emotion that Mike DeWine does not take into consideration. People are missing out on lifetime opportunities, meaning once-in-a-lifetime events, graduation ceremonies, sports seasons, uh, things that, that we all look back on for the rest of our lives with the fondest of memories, things that, quite frankly, help shape who we become, and are all being taken away because of fear-mongering being advanced and pushed on a daily basis from that podium in Columbus by the governor and the lab coat that simply that is simply irresponsible because of the misinformation that is presented on a daily basis. Jack Windsor tried to present the real information. Mike DeWine ignored it, dodged it. You're not going to walk into a restaurant and get COVID-19 and die. You're not going to go to your child's commencement ceremony, watch her walk across the stage and take a diploma and die. They want you to believe that this that the mortality, the lethality of this disease is so much so that we are all in danger of dying. And we're not. 98% of our population doesn't get COVID-19. Of the very tiny percent of the people who do get it, a teeny fraction of them end up in a hospital. And of those that end up in a hospital, an even tinier fraction end up dying. And yet people are being robbed of these lifetime memories, lifetime experiences, lifetime opportunities. Since Chris got personal, I'll get personal. He talked about his son's baseball team that he manages that uh, had one more year together, a summer baseball league, one more year together to try to defend their championship and how that was taken away from them by the governor. And as he also said by a cowardly board there, but uh, at any rate, I can tell you that all of the championships that I won, all of the teams that I played on when I was a teenager or when I was a kid, every time and any time I see people that were on those teams with me, we talk about them and reminisce about them with the joy of a child, as if we were still kids. These are lifetime memories that are being robbed by lies and fear-mongering. And here's my personal Part. He talked about his son and, and his daughter at graduation. My son is a Division One college football recruit. My son was a second-team All-State player on a, on a high school football team that made the playoffs for the second year, of, year in a row last year. First time they made the playoffs in seven years prior to that. My son has a senior season coming up in which he has some extraordinarily high goals to go from second team all Ohio to first team all Ohio to perhaps get more division one scholarship offers than the ones he has already received. Now I say that not to be braggadocious. I say that to get personal as he just did because my son plays on a team with a lot of other talented players and their story is the one that I'm trying to point out here. 
some of those very talented players could also get offers to go and play college football. But they don't have offers in hand the way he does. They need their senior season to earn and impress coaches and scouts. They need their senior season to earn that opportunity to go to college and have their entire college paid for for them as they pursue their, uh, their educations and their, and their college football dreams. If Mike DeWine robs those kids of that opportunity, he robs parents of $150,000, potentially. The value of a full four-year college football scholarship or a college basketball scholarship, the value of that is, is, is upwards of $125,000 to $150,000, all things included, including room, board, tuition, medical care, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And these kids aren't going to have the opportunity to impress coaches with the senior football season. If that happens, and those kids don't get their chance, and those parents lose out on uh, that, you know, that opportunity, it will be beyond criminal conduct. Now, I'm using this again. I decided to go personal, and I haven't talked about this stuff. But since my friend Chris just got personal with his kids, um, I'm using mine, and it's forward. It's this fall. But I'll go to the current semester of school. There are kids in schools all over the state of Ohio who are track athletes, who perhaps might have had opportunities for scholarships to go to college on a track scholarship, a baseball scholarship, seniors who missed this entire season. They didn't have a senior baseball season to impress the the college scouts and to get that offer before this fall. They didn't have the opportunity during their track season. They didn't have the opportunity. I'm trying to think of what other spring sports there are, and I, I, those are the two that jump to mind. But, but, but they already robbed kids of that this, this current spring season. And now if they drag this thing out through May, through June, through July, through August, and if we get into September in football season and these kids can't play, Robbing them of opportunities, it's, it's simply criminal. It cannot be allowed to stand. So, Chris, I, I know I just spent almost 10 minutes talking to you and talking about you. I feel your pain. I agree with it. I share your rage, and I share your passion. What your kids are being robbed of is ridiculous. It's terrible. It's inexcusable. It's indefensible. And what kids may be robbed, robbed of this coming fall including my son, but more importantly, his teammates, is, is equally reprehensible. Sorry for the monologue. I just really, he struck a chord with me. Chris, I, again, I, I feel your emotion, and I know how passionate you are about this. Thank you for the call. We'll be right back. Ten fifty-five. Final segment. Let's get a few more phone calls. Uh, Angie in Garfield Heights on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Good morning, Angie. Go right ahead. Hi. How are you, Bob? I'm fine, thank you. Well, I thought you'd get a kick out of this one with Dewine and his new task force that he hired. Yeah. Um, I own a little neighborhood bar, and uh, it's been rough. And uh, so I'm working probably fifteen-hour days running my kitchen by myself trying to pay half my bills. 
So Monday, uh, I had an incident. I locked the door, and somebody pulled up, and it was a shady-looking guy with a hoodie on and what appeared to be a gun in his hand. So I, I was, you know, wondering what the heck he was doing and uh, looking out the window. So I called the police, and the police said they couldn't come out because of COVID-19 and that, um, you know, they're in contact with people, so on, so on, and uh, send them a picture of it. And I said, well, I have all this on videotape. The, the car, he doesn't have a license plate number. He obviously wasn't coming to order a hamburger, you know. So uh, so then, uh, well, they didn't do too much except say that they're going to put a, an alert out. And um, later that day, that was Monday, I hear DeWine saying how he hired multiple departments with the Ohio Investigative Unit to come out with their rulers to make sure people aren't standing six feet within each other. Now, I'm sorry, but he said his exact words were, people want to feel safe going to a bar. Hmm. Okay, well, I want to feel safe being in my own bar, too. I've been in the bar business for 30-plus years. I do everything to abide by the rules and take care of everything. We cannot control if somebody is standing five feet apart. Now we have all new rules, and he's going to take our liquor license if we don't abide by them. Of course. You know, and, and, they, and they literally do. For people who don't know this, Angie, and I apologize, I'm going to get to some other people. Thanks for the call. He, he literally is doing that. Not, it's not a ruler. It's a sign. They have a six-foot-wide nylon uh, or a mylar sign to demonstrate what six feet apart is. And if people are too close, they will tell them, move out of the way. Never mind the fact that in order to, dem- to measure that, they have to come within the six feet a six foot radius of the people that they're going to tell to try to separate, and they're going to tr- they're going to continue to victimize bar owners like Angie there. And Angie, I'm sorry you had to deal with that situation, and I appreciate your call. Please stay in touch. Uh, Joe in Fairview next. Hi, Joe. Go ahead. Hi, Bob. I just wanted to call and make a quick point. I pulled a report off the Ohio Public Health Information Warehouse a couple of days ago. Uh, Death by all causes for Ohio by year and by age group. And right. I, I'm looking at this, and we averaged about, uh, in the five previous years to this year, about 120,000 deaths a year. Okay? And so far this year, through the four and a half months, we're av- we have 45,000 people who died, which is right in line if you, if you consider 10,000 average a month. And right. I'm looking at, okay, 65 and over, how many deaths in that age group? And it was like every year is between 73 and 75 percent. And if you look at what they're saying for seniors for COVID, it's 75 percent. I really question the numbers that they're using to count deaths. Mm-hmm. And who's dying mm-hmm. from COVID and who's dying with COVID. With a big difference. That Joe, thank you for the call. I'm glad you called because we're going to wrap the show on that call, and that is exactly correct. It's how they're being counted. Who's dying with COVID and who is dying because of COVID? It is an extraordinary thing, and I'm glad you did the deep dive there to get those numbers. And, in fact, I'd love to learn more about that. Call me back tomorrow if you can. Thanks so much to everybody for being a part of the show today. Jack Windsor and uh, and uh, Tony George, my guests. Uh, thanks to the crew. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.